The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Found financial food for thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and it's a welcome to the kickoff of summer 2021. The summer solstice arriving this weekend. Actually, I don't think it's until Sunday. Actually, we're also celebrating Father's Day this weekend. A lot going on. So, are you ready to have a hot, fun summer? Of course, Sly and the Family Stone was singing about hot summers, hot <laughs> fun in the summer a long, long time ago. I don't know, though, if everyone is going to be having a fun summer. I think everyone's going to be having a hot summer, certainly out in the West. They've got drought problems, and that is not a good sign. That could disrupt economic conditions. And let's see, and I'm, Carrie's not with, Eric, sound engineer extraordinaire. Eric, where's, did Carrie win the Vaximillion? Is that why she's not here today? No, no, what? Oh, she's celebrating the new Juneteenth holiday? I, I didn't think that was a like official yet. I, I must have missed that memo. Well, anyway, so I'm here. I, I'm, I'm working today. I've, I've, uh, so I'm flying, uh, flying solo. I'm sure Kara will be back next week. So uh, one person who is having a hot summer is our President Biden, you know, fresh from his first international tour, but it got a little heated. That's quite an extraordinary statement that he made. I'm not confident about anything. I'm just stating the fact. Um, it, that's a you know Biden. President Biden has come out with some Bidenisms, and that's certainly one uh, that I'm going to remember. Uh, I think I think I'm going to use that. Uh, I'm not confident about anything. I'm just stating a fact. So. It was a interesting first trip for President Biden. He was a little heated in that exchange with the reporter. Um, and and I, I don't know, I, I think that, uh, I don't think the Putin-Biden meeting, either one was very happy, you know, after it. Uh, you know, the, Putin had his own press conference. And an interesting quote that came out of that one, which I heard Hugh Hewitt kept playing over again. Um, what Putin said, that, you know, there's no happiness in life, only a mirage of it on the horizon. Uh, well, isn't that quite a statement? I, I don't know if he's looking forward to a, a hot, fun summer himself. You know, it reminds me of, of, of another Russian, you know, Leo Tolstoy. What was his famous line? Happy families are all alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So what is your plans? Are you, are you going to have a hot, fun summer? Um, is it going to be a hot tax summer? You know, a lot of people are worried about, uh, you know, President Biden and the Democrats pushing forward a Democratic progressive tax agenda. 
And are you worried about that? There's certainly lots of talk um, about inflation. The Federal Reserve, you know, Fed Chair Powell, I mentioned that last week on this show, that I'd be listening very closely. And sure enough, they released the Hawks. (laughs) The Hawks are now out. And that disrupted markets. Um, you know, because again, the, the now the Fed is maybe starting to talk about talking about raising rates and much sooner than what they were talking about at their last press conference and sooner, meaning maybe, you know, raising r- rates. Even now we're hearing maybe twice in 2023, still mm, off, far off, you know, not nothing happening in 2021 or 2022 but perhaps starting in 2023. So we'll talk about that. We still have the infrastructure plan. Is that on or off? Do we have a deal? Do we not have a deal? Um, What are the Democrats planning there? What are the Republicans going to go to, you know, bipartisan effort with them and what they're not going to try to do? So lots to talk about. I also want to talk about uh, the 50-30-20 rule. So, um, So I'm going to get back to that as well today. So you're listening to Financial Food for Thought brought to you by the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And we do it one plan, one family at a time. And over those years, we have certainly talked to our clients about how you or when is it appropriate for you to change your assumptions in your financial model. Because we always talk about on the show is that the financial discipline or the financial planning discipline is not the idea that you do a model once and put into the sock drawer for 35 years. No, really it's about, you, you, you know, whatever model you're running currently is based on the best assumptions you can make today. You know, being keeping in mind the parameters of that every assumption you make is conservative and realistic. And again, that's not the same thing. You could have a very conservative assumption that's not realistic at all or vice versa. But if you can keep the parameters that, yes, my assumption is conservative and yes, is realistic, book it and your plan should be just fine as long as you monitor it. That's where the discipline comes in. In other words, so when reality changes an assumption that you have made in your financial model, you know how to go in and make the adjustment accordingly. Very similar to, by the way, how the Federal Reserve runs our monetary system. And the idea that it's data dependent, you know, they're, they're, they have an assumption, they have a model, and everybody knows their model or what they're trying to achieve is full unemployment and a stable price, uh, you know, inflation. Now, how they get there changes with reality when things happen. And of course, what was unreal was the last recession that we had, the Rona recession, which was an artificially shutting down the greatest economy this country had ever seen. Perhaps maybe the world has ever seen. And, that no one knew exactly how the economically we were going to come out of that. So we always said that the Rona recession, well, the, the, well, the Rona itself, the virus, twofold. First is the, the health risk, which was tremendous, but it was also the financial risk. And that's what we've been talking about on this show. So if you'd like more information about the estate planning team, you can call us. Our phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Carrie usually talks about uh, you can go to our website, financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string, financialfoodforthought.com. You can get our newsletters. You can listen to our podcasts. Um, you can you know, sign up for a free consultation there as well. And we're doing consultations either in person or by phone, whatever your preference is, we'll accommodate. We can do them early in the morning. If, if for those who are still working, we, you know, before work hours, we can do them later in the evening for those who are working, you know, after work hours. So as I said, I, I think a lot of people are feeling the heat this summer. Um, I don't know how many are having fun. Biden inflation, is that 
you know, going to cause you panic in your financial plan? Well, well, you know, we can talk a little bit about that. A lot of uh, speak about that. Um, is President Biden okay? Uh, you know, he's not a young man, you know, by any stretch. And I, he's got a lot on his plate right now. I mean, after that uh, Putin meeting, I mean, you just saw the the headlines. Now we see that North Korea is preparing a war with the U.S. And China is about to invade Taiwan and, and, and what that's going to do. And nobody trusts Putin and what he says is is this stress going to, you know, is Biden going to retreat to the White House basement? Uh, then what do we have? Well, I guess we've got then Vice President, you know, Kamala Harris. Uh, is she up to the task? I, I'm going to go with the. Uh, I'm going to go with President Biden's. Uh, I'm not confident that she can handle the job. Just stating the fact that she's next in line. Good grief. Um, so, what did? the Federal Reserve say, which caused so much turmoil in the markets this week? Well, basically, their message was they expect to raise interest rates sooner than what they were talking about before. See if I can read some of the comments here. The Federal Reserve expects to raise interest rates in 2023, according to new economic projections the central bank published Wednesday. That's a sharp contrast from the Fed's previous forecast in March, in which the central bank predicted rates would stay near zero for at least the next two years. The Fed has upped its 2021 inflation forecast by a whole percentage point to a brisk 3.4%. Obviously, that's above the Fed's target of 2%, but it's not news that they have been telling us for a long time that they are willing to let the inflation float above 2%. Especially, they were expecting that with the Rona recession beach ball bounce recovery, the K-shaped recovery, the quick recovery, the revenge spending and all the stimulus money that Americans had to spend and the fact that no one could spend money for a long time and all that. So it's it's not you know unexpected that they would see this inflation. But they've always said that this inflation that we're experiencing now is transitory. And that was a key word in the in their discussions. Right. Meaning that uh, they still were confident that this burst of inflation will pass and the median expectation for inflation to ease to just about 2.1% in 2022. Okay. And then for 2023, their forecast models barely, you know, budget any higher inflation. So they still think they're kind of get back to those norms. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who don't believe that this inflation is transitory, including a very many of our state planning team clients. And so a lot of times the clients are asking me, Mark, how confident are you that what the Federal Reserve is saying and similarly what Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, is saying and, of course, what President Joe Biden is saying is you don't have to worry about this inflation. It's transitory. And I'm I'm going to go back to Biden's words. I'm not confident at all. All I'm just saying is I'm just stating the facts of what they're telling you. You have to make your own decision there. Now, how do you do that with your own financial plan? Well, that's where you run different models, just like the Fed is running different models. And you may want to run, you know, a plan A, which is what the Fed is saying inflation is going to be. Or you might want to run a worst case scenario, plan B, that says, what if inflation gets a lot higher or worse and what would that look like now what did paul say um paul said there's no reason to assume that prices will remain high for a long time if prices keep soaring for travel for example people likely build new hotels get the gdp going um let's see here here's what chairman powell said we don't in any way dismiss the chance that it can work out that this goes on longer than expected and the risk would be that over time it does begin to affect inflation expectations um 
Now, we also have seen some reality that some of this inflation is going to retreat a bit, including lumber prices. Remember, lumber prices was one that was skyrocketed, and the, the Wall Street Journal had an article this week saying the lumber futures are way down, down about 40%. Um, also, the idea where the used cars were skyrocketing, and you know the idea that the rental car business had a problem because of the shutdown they got rid of all their inventory they can't get it back you know the big big demand for used cars they're not you know there's the chip problem about getting new car new autos built the microchip so all this was causing this huge bubble inflation on used cars but again they think that is transitory they think that's just an inventory and eventually that will come down as well um, so what did, what did the Fed say? Now, remember, the Federal Reserve basically doesn't look at CPI. They look more at uh, PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditures. And it's a, different, it's a little slightly different inflation than CPI. And so what they released this week, along with their statements, was the idea of what their consensus was among the central bankers in terms of where they thought inflation was going over the next three years and then even over the longer run. And they broke it down into three categories, what the medium projections were, what the central tendency it was, and what the kind of range was from the high to low. So what they say about PCE inflation? Well, as I stated earlier, for 2021, they're saying it's going to be 3.4%. Then for 2022, this is the medium, by the way. So this is the medium projections. So 3.4% for 21, for 2022, 2.1%, for 2023, 2.2%. And the longer run, guess what? They're targeting their 2%. Now, how about the central tendency? Okay, so for 2021, that ranged from about 3.1 to 3.5%. For 2022, about 1.9 to 2.3%. For 2023, the 2.0 to 2.2%. And the longer run, once again, their target of 2%. And the range... Well, for 2021, the range low of 3.0 to a high of 3.9, you know, almost a full percentage point. For 2022, a low of 1.6 to a high of 2.5. For 2023, a low of 1.9 to a high of 2.3. And of course, their longer run back to their target 2%. So you could go with those Or are you in the camp that believe that hyperinflation is around the corner and you don't believe that this inflation is transitory, meaning that the rise above two, whether, you know, even if you went on the worst case scenario, the high end of the range, 3.9, you know, almost 4%, that you think that is what is going to be ongoing. And that's and by, by the way, that's much different if you run your financial model using a four percent inflation, let's say on daily living expenses, versus if you're using a two percent. It's quite different, even in a one percentage different if you're running it at three and four. So that's but that's what you may want to do to give yourself the peace of mind that even if inflation is no longer transitory and is sticky and is ongoing, are you still going to be okay? Now, we've always said on this show and what we've been, how we've been coaching our clients and running financial models for them for decades is that we may be using two or three inflation rates based on the characteristic of the expense that we're booking. For example, of course, daily living expenses. That's where we may use the CPI or the Fed's PCE. But we might want to use a higher inflation for things like health insurance 
or perhaps if you're still saving for college educations, whether it be for children or perhaps grandchildren. Or and, and also there are some expenses that we don't have to add any inflation on. How about your fixed mortgage? Or or how about discretionary where you're saying, well, my discretionary expenses, do I really have to worry about inflation? For example, if if you budgeted in your retirement plan ten thousand year budget for travel. In, let's say in your main travel years, those first 10 years out of retirement. Well, if you're saying, yeah, the, the air travel is going to go higher or the hotels are going to be more expensive or the restaurants are going to be more expensive. It, it, it Sometimes you could say, well, that means in, at my 10,000, I was thinking I was going to take two trips. Well, in reality, two trips is going to cost me more than 10000 so I can limit myself to one trip. I mean, in other words, it's a bit more flexible than perhaps if, if your utilities are going up at a higher rate of inflation. I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do there. So just be aware of that. Nobody knows. Nobody's confident if this inflation is, turns out, will be transitory or if the Federal Reserve, with the tools that they have available, will be able to have this Goldilocks landing and, you know, start tapering and and start raising rates at a point that it won't shake up the markets to the point where we have a major financial setback. And you're listening to Mark Donnelly. This is Financial Food for Thought. I am the co-owner of the estate planning team, and my cohort in crime, Carrie, is apparently not here today. I'm, you know, I guess she's celebrating the new Juneteenth holiday. I, I, I missed that memo, so I'm here and I'm working hard and talking a lot about the fifty thirty twenty rule. So you can always go back and catch our podcast. You can find those on our website, financialfoodforthought.com. And this month I've been concentrating on maybe perhaps the best financial advice you can give your college graduates, and that is the 50-30-20 rule. This week I'm going to take a little different spin on it because this week I'm saying, as we know, and you can go back and listen to the prior shows, that certainly if you can start the 50 30 20 rule and that's just basically that whatever you're making in salary you, you 50% of it is being spent on your mandatory living expenses 30% is on more discretionary spending and the 20% you're saving and if you can start the discipline of that and start young you will have a very successful successful retirement plan you know, I mentioned Janet Yellen before, and she also came out and talked about, you know, financial literacy may be the one way that we can get this this, this pay gap, you know, narrowed. Um, you know, if people start understanding the younger they are and they, they can, you know, they can follow some of these financial rules um, and that education, you know, she says, you know, but research does show that education, especially early education about how to navigate personal finances can have a lasting positive impact on people's lives. It can be part of our strategy for building a more equitable economy. So it is something that we we coach a lot of our clients about. We also talk about the 4% rule and there's there's many, many rules. Rule of 72, you know, all those good rules. But it's it, reading them, but in a textbook sometimes doesn't solidify it, and and how you incorporate that into a active financial plan. We're very active planners at the financial, um, you know, at, at the estate planning team. Before that, too, you know, we're talking about the hot fun in the summertime. I think another group that's going to be hot under the collar and maybe not having too much fun are the bond analyst or managers. And we warned about this early on in the year that you better be careful buying bonds. You know, and it, it, let's go back to your the famous 60/40 portfolio, right? Um where you, 60% of your money is in growth or equities and 40% of money is in fixed, and a lot of people mean to that to them that means bonds. 
and don't look now, but if you look at the some of the well bond funds, some of the big bond funds, they may be negative year to day. They may be down two, three percent, if not higher. Now the S and P is still holding in there. It's still double digit, you know, up. Well, again, at the time of the taping of this show, we're taping this show on Friday morning. So how is your 60-40 holding up? Well, let's say that by the end of the year, the S&P is up 10%. Let's use that's our benchmark for our 60. So you're up 6% there. Let's say your 40% is in a big bond index. Let's say that's down 4%. All right, so 40% of that, you know, 4%, you're down 1.6. So if your equity or your gross side's up 6, your fixed side is down 1.6, Overall, you're at about a 4.4 positive, but you might not be hitting your 5% target. So does that mean your retirement plan, you have to you know, go back to work or work longer? No, not necessarily. But does reality set in and say, okay, I do have to adjust and, and make that adjustment saying I'm not going to get 5% this year, or if you were hoping to get much higher than that with your 60 40 how about if you were 50-50? Well, then you'd be up, you know, in those numbers I just went, you'd have about a 3% return this year. So that's that idea. Reality, you know, so you're making an assumption in your financial model about what your investment allocation is, what you're targeting, and what type of rate of return. But as reality changes that assumption, you have to go back in and change your plan accordingly to get back on track and then see if that affects the longevity of your plan. So if I just lost you there, that's okay. If you've never run a financial plan, it's just it's just the coaching that's we've been running them for decades. And if you want help with that, come in and see us, and we can certainly get build you a financial model that means something to you and is a working tool, not just something you stick in the sock drawer for 30 years. All right, the 50-30-20 plan. So this week, I'm going to shift, change up a little. I'm going to say, can the 50-30-20 rule save the 55-year-old who hasn't started saving for retirement yet? Because we, we know, and you can go back and listen to our podcast, that the 50-20-30 or the 50-30-20 rule certainly protects the 24-year-old who's starting and he's going to be working for a long time. But what about the 55-year-old who never started, who never followed the rule? Can it save him? Now, my assumptions here is I'm going to assume a working couple making $120,000. Let's say one is making $70,000 and one is making $50,000. Is that too pie in the sky? Well, this is where you have to change. But what we've always talked about these financial rules, it doesn't really matter how much you're making because it's the same issue for everybody. Whether I put a zero after those wages or not, it's still the idea that are you saving 20% of it, basically? Or are you creating your lifestyle to a fact where you've never got into the habit or the financial discipline to save the first 20%, right? That type of idea. So I'm going to use, you know, a couple age 55 making 120,000. I'm going to assume that they get 2% pay increases every year and that they are still planning on retiring at age 67, the social security full retirement date for this couple. We also are going to assume a 5% rate of return on investments. Now, so the 50% that they're spending on mandatory living expenses, so that'd be about $60,000. Then the 30% 30 discretionary would be $36,000. And let's say they're saving 20%. And that would be about $24,000. And then there's their one hundred twenty. dollars Now, where are they saving the 20%? That... It doesn't really matter. Oh, I mean, it, it matters, but I'm saying it could be in a 401k plan. It could be in IRAs. It could be in Roth IRAs. could be in non-qualified. And, and part of that may be building up their cash reserve, which is very important. 
Now, obviously, it could matter if they have a 401k where the company's got a match, then that helps them get to the 20%. You know, if there's a 3% match, maybe, you know, they don't need to be at quite 20 themselves because their company's throwing in 3%. (laughs) That's important. So, Will, if they started that, so let's say at 55, they said, okay, now we're going to start the 50-30-20 rule. We still want to retire at 67. Are they going to make it? Mm, Probably not. Okay, because if they're saving, their cumulative savings by age 67 would be about 497,000. Hey, that sounds pretty good, right? Almost half a million bucks. Um, but what's their lifestyle at that point? So, because again, their lifestyle creeps up a little bit as they get pay increases. So, their lifestyle at that point, when you take the savings out, when you just look at the 80%. Okay, is about one hundred and twenty-one thousand, one hundred twenty-two thousand. So if that's what they've, if that's what they've maintained their lifestyle, if that's what they've raised their lifestyle, and a lot of people don't want to decrease their lifestyle in retirement. If now you're saying, hmm, is the four hundred ninety-seven nest egg going to support one hundred twenty-one thousand for thirty years? And so what do we do here? All right, now to just show you the numbers. What we're going to do is we're going to say, all right, we always say that the 50-30-20 rule gets you to retirement. And then the 4% rule gets you to the grave. So now we test to say, all right, under this scenario, now if if we do project that they do retire at 67, let's run the 4% rule to see if they are going to be able to make it. And how much of of a budget could they be spending? in conservative realistic numbers. So we're going to start now the 4% rule, assuming that they retired at age 67. Now we also, for this couple, we ran the Social Security analyzer that's projecting what their Social Security income would be. And in this case, the 70,000 a year salary individual is projected his full retirement age Social Security would be 26,000. And for the $50,000 earner, uh, their projected Social Security at age 67 would be 20520 okay? Because that's, that's, they can spend that in retirement as well. And that has a cost of living increase to it. Now, using Benjamin's 4% rule, so we're taking the 497, which is their nest egg, or their you know 20% savings over those 13 years, compounded with a 5% in, in increase rate of return. And we're going to continue to assume that 5% it's earning to the end of the time. Now, Benjamin's 4% rule uses a 30-year time period. That takes them to age 97. Okay, that should be long enough, right? All right, if it's not long enough, you got to adjust. If you think 5% is too much, you got to adjust. Okay, and of course, the 4% rule says they take out 4% the first year. So on the 497, that'd be about $20,000. And the Benjamin built in inflation on that, about 3.5%. So in year two, they don't take out, you know, 4% again. They take out 3.5% more than they did in year one. So in year two, it's about 21000 you know, and by the time they're 80, okay, now it's a $30,500 withdrawal. By the time they're 85, it's a, you know, $36,000 a year withdrawal. That's what keeps their lifestyle going in retirement because Benjamin built in the inflation factor. All right. And then, of course, the 4% rule is the idea that you're spending the last dollar in the last day, meaning at the end of the 30th year, that nest egg, in this case, 497,000 is approaching zero. Now, by the way, that's not everybody's plan. Okay. Some people want to leave an inheritance. Well, then, then we've got to adjust. That's, that's why, how you make it your own. That's why you don't just say these general rules work for everybody. But they're useful, and you just have to modify them for your own circumstances. So now let's add up what their retirement income would be. So you've got Social Security of about 46000 and the first year withdrawal from the investments of 20000 About 66897 Hmm. little short of their lifestyle at that point of 122000 and as you can imagine, no, they're not going to make it. All right. Um, it, it's the you know compounding. So is the gig up? No, not necessarily. So if your plan isn't working, 
meaning it's not lasting as long as you plan on lasting. What do you do? Well, there's a few solutions that you can think of, right? One would be, you could say, well, work longer. Okay. That's obvious, right? But this couple is saying, yeah, but Mark, how much longer can we expect to work after age 67? You know, the, the, the number one reason why people retire before they were planning to was for health reasons. I mean, reasons beyond their control. It may be their own health. It may be their spouse's health. It may be a, an elder parent's health. But whatever. It, you know, so I, the longer you think you're going to work, that's the baby boomer dilemma. Mark, I'm never going to retire. Well, that may be a bad assumption. It may be a very conservative assumption saying I'm going to work forever. But how realistic is it? Remember I said the parameters. Your assumptions got to be based on conservative and realistic. So just to say, I'm, I'm, someone's always going to offer me a job and I'll always have the health to do a job as long as I want, that's eh, I don't know how realistic that is. Obviously, the second way you could stretch out your plan is by spending less. Um, but can you, how much leeway is there? If the idea, you know, what happened to your golden years? So that's something that you can talk about. Another one, you could say, well, save more, which is the same kind of idea of save, of spending less, right? I mean, that's the point. Saving more means you're spending less. So the, the two go hand in hand. Another one you could say, well, use a, assume a higher rate of return on investments. Well, what's the, is there a ceiling there somewhere? I mean, <laughs> how much risk are you willing to take on to be okay in retirement? That's a discussion you may have with your investment advisors. We don't manage client assets estate planning team. But we certainly have a lot of discussions with our clients' investment advisors about things like this. And you could say, well, I'm gonna I'm don't I'm not gonna assume I'm gonna live to ninety seven or that my retirement is gonna be thirty years. There's no way, Mark, my 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 my, my parents didn't get there that long. You know, you know, I, there's no way I'm going there. Well, then they asked me, well, what do you think, Mark? And I, was that, and I just said, well, you know, you're asking the wrong guy. Sorry, because if I look at my parents and my wife's parents, yes, my father passed away at age 72. All right. Um, but my mom is still living at age 97. My wife's father lived to age 97. He's now passed. And my wife's mother is still living with us, who she'll be turning 94. So, so you're asking the wrong guy when it comes to longevity. Uh, but you, this is your plan, not mine. You know, it's not your neighbor's plan. It's not your parents' plan. It's not your coworkers' plan. You've got to sharpen your elbows, elbows and you, you've got to make the assumptions that give you peace of mind that you can retire at a certain date or that you can budget a certain amount of spending in retirement. Now, so what do we do in this case? Are there any other solutions, by the way? Let's see. We could work longer. We could spend less and save more. We could assume a higher rate of return. Well, you could finance the difference, I guess. Go and use debt. I, I, I can hear the Dave Ramsey you know, followers screaming into their phones right now or their headphones. Um, see, to me, that's, again, your choice. I'm not one to say that you, you, uh, nobody can, you, nobody should ever have debt. Now, I, what I do say is that if you're making the decision that you want to use debt, whether it be mortgages, then that could be a straight mortgage. It could be a home equity line of credit. It could be a reverse mortgage or credit cards or auto loans or margin loans on equity portfolios. The, the point is, that's your choice. And if you, my role as a financial planner is just making sure that if you're choosing to use debt, that you don't have any problem servicing the debt, meaning that you're not running into a cash flow issue when you have to make the mortgage or the debt payment every month. Then it's fine. But let's get back to the 55 year old who's realizing that the 50 30 20 isn't going to save him because he hasn't started saving for retirement yet. 
Well, let's say that working longer is off the table for them. And he likes the idea, well, Mark, I think I can do better than 5%. All right, this is a discussion you're going to have with your investment advisor. But let's have the robot quickly determine what rate of return would you need to make the plan work? Meaning that how much rate of return over those 13 years before you retire based on the 20% savings? All right. Can you do that math in your head? We don't need to. The robot does it. You're going to need about a 12 to 13% annual rate of return. Hmm. So how, how many sleepless nights are you going to have in retirement thinking that your plan is going to fail unless you're getting double-digit returns year over year over year without any bumps in your uh, 30 years of retirement? So that may be a little bit too high. But let's say the, the client comes back and says, oh, well, all right, so, but my investment advisor says he can get me six instead of five. Okay. And that's usually the solution. It's not the idea of saying it's the one adjustment you're going to make. It's usually of the ones we talked about. It's usually a combination of ones that are off the table, like in this case, working longer, and more of a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one. So let's say we're not going to use Benjamin's 5% rule. My guys tell me he can get me six and I have to take a little bit more risk, but not too much more risk. I'll still be able to sleep at night. Okay. And let's also say, Mark, I really don't need the plan going 30 years to age 97. Not that I'm trying to cut that down to 85, <laughs> age 85, but maybe can maybe 95 is long enough. Okay. So let's run it. Let's rerun it at 28 years. Okay, so we've made some adjustments there. We're going to use a 6% rate of return. We're going to shave off a couple of years of longevity. Now, the final, now we go back and say, well, now what does my savings rate have to be to make it work? And the robots quickly, in a in blink of an eye, comes back and says, okay, you're going to need to save not 20% for the next 13 years, you're going to have to save 38%. Okay. So now your rule becomes the 50, 12, 38. All right. Um, and if you could save 38%, growing at 6%, compounded for those 13 years, now your nest egg, when you retire at age 67, will be a million fourteen thousand, And your lifestyle spending of the 50% mandatory and the 12% discretionary is going to be about 94,000. So now let's rerun Benjamin's 4% rule, assuming a 6% rate of return, assuming 28 years, not 30. And now the, the starting nest egg of a million first year withdrawal is no longer 4%. It becomes 4.83%. So now we've got an investment first year withdrawal of close to $49,000. So remember, we it's the same Social Security. It doesn't adjust Social Security. So we've got $26,000 for the primary Social Security earner, $21,000 for the second lower Social Security earner, and then the $48,000 from the first year withdrawal. That's about 95000 and change. That keeps us right where we had brought our lifestyle under the snare up to, 94000 And we've got inflation protection to boot where we can maintain that lifestyle. And now, is it easy to save 38%? Of course not. All, we're, all the models are doing is saying, do, does this leave you in a decision-making mode? And and in the real ideas, could you live with only you know twelve percent discretionary spending, which is about twelve hundred a month? I don't know how much Hawaii trips that's getting you, but maybe that couldn't keep your hobby going. So in either case, it's just the, the the idea of the financial modeling to see if we can fit something that you are comfortable with and that you have enough data to make a decision going forward. All right, so if you would like help building a financial model, give us a call. The estate planning team, our phone number is 
You can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. My name is Mark Donnelly. Normally, Carrie Waddell's here. If you call and leave a message over the weekend, Carrie will get a hold of you on Monday. You can actually sign up for a consultation on the website. This may be the quintessential Father's Day song, right? The Great Cat Stevens. It's an interesting song. Oh, excuse me, Yusef Islam. Actually, his original name is Stephen Dimitri Giorgio. It's Greek. He was British, part of the British invasion. Interesting, this song has a Russian connection to it. Now, the song was released on the T for the Tillerman album in 1970. One of his big hits. I remember it actually as the B-side of a 45. Now, for those malicious millennials and Z generation, if you're hearing, you don't know what a 45 is. Um, that used to be a little record that ran at 45 RPMs, and it had one song on one side, and on the flip side, it had another song. So the A-side song was what the record companies thought would be the hit for the artist, and they needed filler on the B-side, so they just asked the, you know, artist, hey, do you got another song we can put on the B-side? Expecting never to be played, because when they would, you know, hand the records out to the DJs, with a little payola, they say, hey, play the A-side. That's the one that's going to be the big hit. And, of course, the record companies are notoriously were wrong on picking hits, obviously. Um, and so I remember my older siblings had this 45. I, I, I wore it out. So the A-side was Moonshadow, which was a great song by Cat Stevens. And the B-side was Father and Son. Now, also, I'm trying to think of a was another another great B side that I always remember is Rod Stewart's Maggie May, <laughs> you know, which was I don't I don't even remember what was on the A side because nobody does, um, and it was just the story there was just somebody some DJ flipped over to B side and the rest is history. All right, back to the Russian connection for father and son. Well, that was the original intent of of, of the song. Um, so Cat Stevens, at the time, it was back in 1967-1968, he was working on a musical project called Revolution. It was, it was set during the Russian Revolution. And this song was about a boy who wanted to join the revolution against the wishes of his like conservative farmer uh, father. What happened was that project was never completed because Cat Stevens got very sick with tuberculosis. He almost died. So everything just kind of stopped. So then the story picks up, you know, after he got out of the hospital and recovered. All right. One of the great, um, one of the great uh, record mogul, moguls of the time, Chris Blackwell, he, he founded Island Records. This guy was born in Jamaica and, and he, he founded Bob Marley. He was also responsible for Steve Winwood, U2, as well as Cat Stevens. So he, he, he helped all their careers. But as, as Chris Blackwell, I recently heard him talking about this song and the, and the first time he heard it or the first time he met Cat Stevens. And what happened was he was creating this Island Records and one of his, you know, cohorts or whatever kept bugging him about, hey, listen, you've got you to gotta hear this young British artist, you know, that goes by the name of Cat Stevens. He's, he's doing great stuff. And of course, you know how often does does the record producer you know get that pitch, right? But but the guy was very persistent and wouldn't give up. So finally, the um, so finally Blackwell invited Cat Stevens to come in for an audition. Okay, so he meets with Cat Stevens, and and so he, you know Stevens plays a song, and Chris Blackwell's listening to it and is thinking, hmm, this isn't half bad. You know, and he's thinking, I'm not throwing this guy out the, the my office quite yet. So when when Cat finished that song, Blackwell said, "Well, hey, you know, he said, you know, that's pretty good. What else do you got?" And that's when Cat Stevens broke into Father and Son. Now, when Blackwell heard him kicking out Father and Son, he was like, 
I'm not letting this guy out of my office without signing a contract. Now, the problem was that Cat Stevens was already under contract with Decca Records. All right. And so Blackwell asked him, he said, well, by the way, you know, what's Decca paying you? And when he heard what Decca was paying him, he was kind of inside laughing himself and, and thinking, this is a steal. So he just kind of told Stevens, he said, you know, I think I can match that. And Stevens was ready to leave Decca anyways because they didn't believe in Father and Son or any of the other folk songs that Cat Stevens was trying to break into. Okay, because prior to that, he was doing different types of music and he wanted to break into this folk rock music scene. Obviously, he wanted to get to America and Decca wasn't having any part of it. And so he was looking to jump stumbles upon you know he get, blackwell realizes the brilliance of this young artist steals him away from decca records and the rest they say is history all right so happy father's day to everyone and as far as father's day gifts oh, i'm i'm a father i've got a four Malicious millennials. Well, actually, I got three millennials and one Z generation. So, gifting. Here's the tip for gifts for Father's Day gifts. Because I don't want you know, what do I get for my dad for? Okay. Forget the tie, right? The ties are out. I don't know if you'll ever have to buy your dad a tie again. You know, post Rona. You know, I don't know. Maybe we're going to go back to the office, but I don't know if we're going to go back to the office wearing ties. Right. So I don't think you ever have to buy a tie again. Right. Um, and can you skip the best dad ever mugs and T-shirts? Okay, mm, that's yeah, yeah. So what do you get, Dad? Well, I think you can never go wrong with you know getting him uh, you know his favorite brown beverage. But you know maybe he, you know that's not your thing. Then how about a hobby gift certificate? Do you know what your father's hobbies are? Okay, is it gardening? Is it automobiles is it fishing is it golf but the key is don't try to buy him the golf club because the problem with avid hobbyists is you really don't know what they have or what they don't have or what they want in other words so i always suggest if you if you're buying a hobby gift get a gift certificate based on that hobby now, maybe that's Amazon these days, Amazon gift card. Would you say, well, that's not, that's not very you know, personal. It doesn't matter. It's dad. What, you know, it, 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 the idea of the hobby is that it's money that he can spend on his own hobby because he knows what he needs next for his hobby. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.